morning. It's a Monday. It's Kale and Company Live at 1450 AM, WKXL, 103.9 FM in the Concord area, 101.9 FM, the station that booms into downtown Manchester and around the clock at the nhtalkradio.com. Hope everyone had a great weekend. And uh, we have a uh, terrific guest to lead the uh, week off. He is a man who wears many hats, many, many hats, longtime voice of the New Hampshire Fisher Cats since the team's inception in 2004 when they played at Gill Stadium in Manchester. Uh, Bob works in the uh, sports information department at Southern New Hampshire University, voice of the uh, UNH football Wildcats, uh, all kinds of uh, sports at, uh, at Dartmouth, and uh, the list goes on and on. What is it now, Bob Lippman, six-time uh, New Hampshire Sportscaster of the Year? It is, yeah. Thank six, you, though. Six. Bob Lippman is our guest, a WKXL alum. Yes, brings back memories uh, <laughs> of, uh, of hosting my own show, very similar to yours, uh, between 2000 and 2004, right here in this studio. Right here in this studio, mm-hmm. even as we speak. And it yep. was live radio. It was live radio. And we are live uh, right now here on uh, on Reddington Road, and uh, glad to be the new addition to the WKXL lineup. And... Uh, Bob, so many things to talk about, but let's let's just touch on briefly the uh, Red Sox win uh, last night. The come from behind Sunday night win to beat the Yankees, eleven to six. They gained a split of that four game series, and to me, uh, that that was the most important win of the season, I think, for that ball club. Yeah, get, get a little bit of confidence here going into what will obviously be a really tough week. Again this week with four at Tampa Bay and then three at the Yankees before you get to the All-Star break. But the way that that series started with the Yankees and then the way last night's game started for Boston certainly uh, had you nervous. Uh, How are they going to be able to to get enough pitching and uh, against the Yankee bullpen they uh, they rallied got the uh, the victory last night so I agree with you that was a huge win for Boston last night yeah absolutely they still however have not won a series against an American League East opponent including Baltimore all year long that that's a little bit concerning it is uh, because you know how many games are still left with uh, with those rivals and uh, you know, it, we certainly we we started yesterday morning right with with Boston and Tampa Bay and Toronto all in a in a wild card slot. Yep. And now the Orioles have won eight in a row. They're one game out of the five hundred mark. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they're kind of in the conversation, a young club, and maybe they're going to play well enough in the second half of the year to make a run at this. It, it's it's amazing uh, what they've done tonight uh, when the Red Sox do open up. At uh, at Tampa Bay uh, against the Rays, uh, Brian Bayo will get his second big league start. Did you see any of him uh, last year at Portland? I did, uh, and he's got great stuff at the Double A level. It can be kind of difficult to view the big picture, uh, but uh, I guess it doesn't surprise me here that they've they've kind of worked with him and they've been able to to get him to this point where he's now a major league pitcher. You know, you can see he has the stuff. There's no doubt about it. I mean, he, he can throw in the uh, in the upper 90s. But, you know, uh, these days that's not saying very much because virtually everybody throws in the upper 90s uh, these days. It's it's how you're able to harness that uh, upper 90s For stuff. For sure. Yeah. 
But uh, we'll see what happens there uh, with Brian Bayo tonight, his second start against uh, the Rays. He uh, lasted, what, three innings uh, last time. The trading deadline is coming up. Do you see the Red Sox uh, doing anything before the early August deadline? I think they have to. Uh, if they want to stay in uh, contention, the trade deadline is four weeks from tomorrow, right? And it's the, the first Tuesday in August this year. So it comes later now. And you have to kind of look at, right, the Red Sox are going to need two months. And uh, the question that you and I have had for how many years now is, do we have enough pitching? And the answer is never do we have enough pitching? Well, we're going to find out with Sale coming back, with Evaldi coming back, uh, probably put Barnes back in the bullpen. Uh, Rich Hill may eventually get back. And then we'll know, do the Red Sox need to go after a frontline starting pitcher for the, uh, for the run? And I think that that's probably inside the Red Sox, the maneuvering that's taking place right now. And in order to get that these days... You better be willing to part with a couple of top prospects. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, now with three wild cards, so many teams now are still involved in a wild card chase that, you know, who's going to part with, uh, you know, a decent, you know, quality starter? Uh, It's a fair question. And, again, we have four more weeks of games, so another 20 or 30, and it will kind of separate a little bit some of the pretenders from the contenders and and then we'll know with the with the Red Sox uh but again I I, I see them as buyers yeah I, oh, I, abs- I, oh absolutely I mean uh, it, it looks right now I mean the way they're heading I mean after that disastrous start uh they're heading in the right direction anyway at this right. you, point you you can't look at this team and say well this is the team that I want to make a run at a championship with Right. If if your goal is simply to make the playoffs, well, you, you probably can do that. But you already know that they're not as good as the Yankees right now, right. and they're not probably not as good as Houston or the Dodgers. And you're going to have to be a little bit better uh, uh, in terms well, of pitching. Absolutely. I, yep. I think you know first base certainly uh, is a problem as well. well where's Tristan Casas? Yeah. Uh, well, I I think he's hurt uh, at the moment. Yeah. Uh, from what I understand, but. Uh, you know, uh, the Dahlbeck, uh, Franchi, Cordero uh, platoon uh, is, is really not working, not only offensively, but defensively as well. Uh, I mean, uh, their defense at first base uh, this year has, has not been good. Remember last year they uh, tried to convert uh, Kyle Schwarber uh, into a first baseman, and that, uh, that experiment uh, lasted a little while, but... Uh, Look at Schwarber now. I mean, leading the National League in home runs. And you look at Hunter Renfro, who's right up there for Milwaukee in home runs. I mean, he's got 13 or 14 Why can't runs. we get guys like that? I know, right? And the old famous Bob Lobel line, right? <laughs> here's, here's a guy. Here's an interesting guy uh, that uh, it, it would probably be available, I, I would think, because he's playing for a team that is not going to go anywhere, and that's the Colorado Rockies. Daniel Bard. Daniel Bard, last, well, yesterday, picked up his 18th save of the year for the Colorado Rockies. Great story. Great, it, great it, comeback story. Isn't it amazing? 
and his ERA is 2.20 right now for call a terrible team, really, Colorado. But he's got 18 saves for them. I think he's 36 now. But you, you have to think he might be available for some bullpen. Might help. be. And, and you're right. He's the kind of guy. The Rockies aren't going anywhere this year. Right. And if someone is looking for an end-of-the-game kind of guy, he might very well be that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we shall see what happens with uh, the trading deadline. And, of course, most of the deals are made very close to the trading deadline. You might get uh, one or two uh, prior to that, but uh, very little activity happens uh, before the uh, dealing deadline coming up in uh, four weeks from tomorrow, I believe, as Bob mentioned. We have to take a break. It is Kale & Company Live. Our guest today, Bob Lippman, in studio at 1450 AM WKXL, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 in Manchester. And you can listen to us around the clock, wherever you might be, at nhtalkradio.com. We will take a break and uh, be right back with Bob Lippman. And uh, coming up a little bit later in the show today, we'll be talking with the U.S. Senate hopeful, Brigadier General Don Bulldog, who will be joining us sometime around uh, 8.35 this morning. Kale & Company Live continues after these words on WKXL. Welcome back. It's a Monday. It's Kale and Company Live. Bob Lippman is our guest. Bob does so many things, and we'll get into that in just a moment. Here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester. I could talk to Bob all day about uh, various things, including sports. But uh, Bob, as we mentioned, uh, with the Fisher Cats since day one, back in 2004 when they played at a renovated uh, Gill Stadium and then uh, moved into their uh, current home, Delta Dental Stadium. It wasn't Delta Dental Stadium at the time, but it is now, uh, right along the Merrimack River in uh, Manchester. And Bob, uh, since 2004, voice of the Fisher Cats, and they just started the second half of of this season, but you've got to think back on. I look at the board that's in the office, uh, the Fisher Cats office in in Manchester, and look at all the players since 2004 that have made it, uh, some bigger than others, uh, to the major leagues. It's just incredible how, how many have. It's it's almost a quarter of every player who is dressed in a Fisher Cat uniform has gone on to play in the major leagues. And as you pointed out, some are for a game, yep. the cup of coffee, as they say. Others have been around uh, for a little bit more. I, I I have to give you the the little spreadsheet I did. 
this past week of every Fisher cat who has gone on to hit at least 50 home runs in the major leagues. And it's not a huge list. It's about 12 or 13 most recently, of course. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio are right there. Lourdes Gurriel, the guys uh, who are up on the Toronto roster now, the the 2018 Fisher Cat champs. It's amazing. Up and down the lineup, you see uh, former Fisher Cats, uh, except... Uh, the the all star catcher Alejandro Kirk he skipped Man- Man- New Hampshire completely. He right? did, yeah, yeah, and, and that's happened uh, because of COVID. Yeah, uh, and we we lost a minor league year, and yet a lot of the guys still were promoted along. But if you haven't seen this five eight two hundred and forty oh. pound spark plug that has been uh, the main catcher for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, he his his contact uh, with the baseball is as high as anybody in the game. Yeah. It, it's truly amazing and an amazing story as well. Uh, but you look at that all-star lineup for the American League uh, next week. You have Alejandro Kirk behind the plate, uh, Vladdy Guerrero at uh, at first base, and almost, almost Bo Bichette at shortstop. He nearly made it, but he'll be on the team anyway. Right. Yeah. It's just uh, amazing what the uh, organization has done. And yet, as you said, uh, fans are upset because the pitching uh, isn't really there. Yeah, well, that can happen right to anybody. They just uh, Blue Jays just finished what was a one and six West Coast trip to Oakland and Seattle. They drew Toronto drew about ten to fifteen thousand fans each game into Seattle. Who come? They come down from Vancouver, root for the Blue Jays. Right, because it's they have terrific. a farm team there, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. right, and and the farm team is there. Yeah. But but Toronto is Canada's team from East Coast oh, to sure. West Coast. Yeah. Now they are sure without Montreal, and uh, yeah. and they went in and uh, and they gave away a couple of games there late, including one yesterday that uh, has uh, some of the fans a little bit on edge. You know, I heard on a Red Sox uh, broadcast recently that uh, you know. Attendance hasn't been great uh, in in Toronto, but more than that, I, I guess you can pretty much get a, a hotel suite there at uh, Rogers Center for relatively short money on uh, nights of games. I mean, like under a hundred dollars or a hundred dollars Canadian. So that's really something because I remember at one time those suites. Uh, or like five, six, seven hundred dollars a night. Right. Yeah. When 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 the place first opened back what in nineteen eighty nine or something like that. I have been to Rogers Center when I, uh, but I've not been there for a game. If you can believe that, I've been I to Toronto I about. Th- I've been to that. Toronto about three or four times. And I ate, there was a Hard Rock Cafe that right. was part of the Rogers yes. Center, and I ate yeah. there, and you could see in, and there was a convention yeah. going on uh, inside. Uh, I'm due to make a, a trip to I'm Buffalo and Toronto. I, I want to see games in uh, in both cities. Those are our yeah. uh, AAA and, and Major League uh, affiliates. And how about the, you know, the Fisher Cats? Uh, I'll give you the real brief history lesson here. Okay. Uh, here. The Fisher Cats came into being because the Colorado Rockies, uh, Major League Baseball, expanded into Denver. An Eastern League affiliate went into New Haven, Connecticut for the Rockies in 1994, and then Drew Weber bought that team 
from New Haven brought them to New Hampshire for 2004, and then that's how the team ended up here. And then this week we were playing the the Rockies, and there was one really cool local tie-in. Uh, for those who weren't around this week, Hartford Yard Goat first baseman Grant Levine, uh, a two-time high school Mr. Baseball in New Hampshire, uh, has made it to the double-A level after leading the Northwest League Advanced A in hitting and He's two steps away from the major leagues now. Uh, Grant Levine was in New Hampshire this week, and he had a couple of hits yesterday. Yeah, and uh, I know he had at least a couple of RBIs uh, yep. over the weekend in his double-A uh, debut. What a, what a storybook uh, uh, thing that is, because uh, he made his double-A debut just this uh, this past week. I'm at sure Delta he stayed Dental at home, Stadium. right? I'm sure he stayed at home in Bedford. I I know he had uh, lots of friends and relatives. He did, Uh, including his brother Kyle, a a terrific baseball player in his own right, is about to start his college career, and uh, he he played at Bishop Girton. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, of course, as you mentioned, uh, Grant played uh, at Bedford and played Bedford at uh, Delta Dental Stadium. I believe they won the four years in a row, and yeah. they won one title. One out of four. One but, out of but four. But he played four championship games there, anyway, uh, yes. prior to that. So he did have some experience at Delta Dental Stadium uh, prior to this past week. And uh, what, a, what a great way to uh, get his double-A career started. I've got to ask you about uh, UNH football, which begins uh, – when September first, August uh, September, September first. Yeah, okay. It'll be a 1st. Thursday night showdown with the newest member of the Colonial Athletic Association (CAA's). The Mammoth Hawks will uh, come ah. in from New Jersey, and uh, that'll be the uh, the season opener for UNH on the first. And now the first uh, official game as head coach for Ricky Santos. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because he did uh, have a year as uh, interim coach. And uh, and you've known him uh, since he was a player at at UNH. Uh, what do you think the prospects are uh, this season? I have to be excited. Yeah, you know, just uh, from the fact that I know how many how much good young talent is in the program right now, and uh, there's a new enthusiasm uh, under Coach Santos uh, to get off to a good start here and. Uh, I think that uh, good things are going to come from uh, the guy from Bellingham, Massachusetts, who uh, took over as the UNH quarterback after a couple of injuries and went on to become one of the all-time greats in program history. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. But uh, certainly, uh, Sean McDonald will be missed. Oh, of, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's been in a, he's been a, a big part of the UNH program starting back when he was a player in the 70s, right, all the way through to last year. And uh, the program has Sean McDonald's handprints all over it, and uh, he'll continue to be around, just like Coach Bill Bowes still comes around and it, watches it, Isn't that something, yeah. UNH, and, right? Two guys who led UNH over the last half century. Right, exactly. And, uh, and boy, uh, led them to, uh, you know, some, some great heights at, at, uh, at that level, and uh, what they, they made the, the playoffs how many consecutive years? Yeah, 14, 15 consecutive years. Yeah. Now uh, trying to get back. Uh, but uh, made two runs at national championships, made it to the final four two years in a row in 13 and 14. And uh, they haven't gotten to the national championship game yet, but uh, program certainly uh, 
That's Those are the kinds of goals that they set at the beginning of the year. They have been as close as you could possibly get, however, to that championship game. That 14 teams, number one in the nation, took a lead in the fourth quarter against Illinois State at home, and uh, Illinois State caught them at the end of that game and fell one game short of the championship. And you mentioned Monmouth uh, being in the conference now. The conference has taken on a new look. Uh, Hampton has joined the league, and we'll get North Carolina A&T as well with James Madison moving up to the Bulls subdivision. Bob Lipman, as I said, we could we could talk for hours uh, about sports, and, and hopefully uh, you will come back at some point, and uh, we'll talk for at least an hour. Anytime. And, and, well, thank you. I do appreciate that. Bob Lipman, WKXL alum. How long did you work here, Bob? Well, as for KXL, I guess officially would be four years. Yeah. All right. Well, welcome back. And you, you heard Bob on uh, many high school uh, broadcasts over the years, not too long ago here on WKXL. Maybe we'll get him back to do that in the not too distant future. Here on 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 1019 in Manchester, and streaming live all the time at nhtalkradio.com. We will be back right after these words. Don't you go away. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 on the FM dial in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and around the clock wherever you are at nhtalkradio.com. Ken Kale here, and we're being joined by retired Army Brigadier General and U.S. Senate candidate Don Bolduck. General Bolduck, how are you this morning? I am great, Ken. How are you? I am uh, doing very well. Thanks for joining us uh, today. And I have to ask you first off how the campaign is going. Well, the campaign's going very well. You know, as you know, we've been doing this for over a year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, we uh, we started out 30 points behind Senator Hassan. We're now tied with her. We edge her out uh, among independents. Uh, and, you know, uh, it couldn't be going better. We elected to do uh, a very different type of campaign, which is bottom-up uh, campaign infrastructure. We don't follow the same campaign um, uh, structure that you would see uh, in, in other campaigns, uh, traditional campaigns. Bottom-up, it, it, it's granite stater-centric. We have... Uh, nearly a thousand volunteers uh we have county chairs we have area chairs we're connected uh all over the state uh and as a result you know we're able to uh talk with and meet with uh granite staters at an unprecedented rate uh far more than uh any of my uh other opponents um this is uh this is you know the way to do it i believe uh we're the only candidacy that's able to put together you know town hall venue um, 50 town halls uh, they end in uh, August we just finished our 20th one uh, and this is really uh, proven to be an effective way of getting Democrats independents uh, Republicans uh, 
into an you know into a room, sitting down and having a great conversation with them. So uh, all is going well. Thank you for asking. Well, uh, and uh, you have been out on the stump now for about uh, a year and a half, and uh, you know things have, have changed uh, over that uh, span of time, obviously. And uh, what have you been hearing uh, most recently from the prospective voters that uh, that you've been meeting out on the campaign trail? What is their biggest concern? Well, their biggest concerns are, you know, I mean, are the following. Of course, number one is the the high inflation, uh, the the, the part of the economy that is causing them uh, to really have to spend uh, more money than they need to on gas, more money they need to on energy. They have to make real decisions about their health care for themselves and for their kids, how they're going to keep their, their, their vehicles running. Uh, you know, small businesses uh, are also negatively affected as well. Uh, and in particular, they can't really find people to work. The energy dependence crisis has created huge problems for us. You know, and they're also concerned about, you know, crime. You know, we might not see the high crime uh, in New Hampshire like we, we see in, in other places, but we still have the same type of crime. Uh, but the opioid crisis, the mental health crisis, the illicit trafficking of humans and firearms, uh, the uncertainty of, of our country's borders, uh, worst borders in the world. Uh, if you look at uh, a, one of the latest polls, we have a humanitarian crisis on that border. Uh, you know, we have children dying. We have women dying. We have women being, being raped and assaulted. And, and uh, you know, this is, I've been on borders like that. I've been on dangerous borders across this world. The only candidate that has. And I can tell you that anything that we've done to help other countries improve their border situation uh, is not, uh, would not be, uh, we would not recommend to them what we're doing here in our own country. I mean, this is just uh, what Americans are thinking about or, and Granite Staters are thinking about. And I got to tell you, Ken, they're worried about the future of their children and grandchildren. And, and, uh, and I joined them in that. Well, I can understand why. I mean, things are escalating uh, at our borders, and uh, in, you know, it, it's a scary situation. I mean, uh, not only are the migrants coming in, uh, they're bringing fentanyl with them, and that is really uh, probably the most dangerous drug right now. Look how many it's killed uh, just in, in recent years, uh, and, and that's, that's a very scary proposition. Well, Ken, you, you make a great point about the opioid crisis, 200% worse than it was uh, before COVID here uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, and, you know, uh, it's killing kids. You know, you got the, uh, the one-and-done pill that's very dangerous. They can order it right on the Internet. They don't know what they're getting. Uh, and, you know, the, the money that's been, uh, you know, thrown at the problem has not uh, has not created a solution for the problem. We're, we're not focused on prevention. We're not focused on treatment and recovery. Um, and so as a result, we have about a 6% uh, success rate with our opioid crisis programs. Uh, and, you know, this has to be reversed. You just can't throw money at the problem. You have to have a comprehensive plan. And we can see that uh, with every problem, it seems, 
Washington, D.C., it's out-of-control spending, just wants to throw money at everything, uh, and and that's not a solution. And we need people in there that, that are solution-driven uh, and are going to make sure that our problems get solved. And really, you, you solve problems at the lowest level, the local level, by enabling the local level, keeping the government out of its way, and allowing the people there who know where the problems are know who to contact to solve the problems and enable them to do so and and then require them to show uh, that uh, that they're having success uh, and if you know if they don't then we need to make changes we just can't you know continue <clears throat> to invest in failure which is what we're doing right now yeah no doubt about it and you know the the border crisis is there I mean you you know it uh, better than most. Uh, you know, what, what's going on at these borders. And, and the fact of the matter is, you never, you very rarely hear about it in the mainstream media. You hear about it on, like, two networks, Fox News and Newsmax. That's where you hear about it. And the rest of the networks just sort of ignore it. Well, you're absolutely right. And I've been on both those networks talking about this. And, and thank you for bringing that up. I mean, I've worked on our U.S. border. I've trained border police during my career. I have worked in the, the Pentagon and worked in the interagency to write, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, border policy to get the best border policy that we can. Unfortunately, politics always plays a large role. We have a policy problem, which exacerbates uh, the situation. But, but more importantly, we have a resource problem. The CBP is not being resourced properly. Uh, we have a vulnerable border because we don't have the assets on the border with the CBP, uh, with ICE, and the, and the infrastructure to be able to deal with, um, with, the, with, the, uh, with the legal situations, right? Ideally, the Border Patrol picks them up, processes them, gives them over to ICE, ICE evaluates them, and uh, then sends them over to the court, and the court decides whether they stay or go based off of our immigration laws. None of that's happened. They're just given warrants, and then they're relocated inside the United States. And we, we hope that they show up uh, for their, you know, for their for their hearing, but they don't in over ninety percent of the cases. And then we're letting terrorists in and and unaccompanied minors who are being abused as they come to the border, uh, both young young boys and, and young women, if they're not stolen and then put in the human trafficking. Uh, you know, business, which is which is a, a national embarrassment. Uh, this is this is not the way to secure a border. And our northern border is just as vulnerable. I've been to both borders. The difference between me yeah. and other candidates is I don't politicize it. Right. Um, I understand the issues. I talk to the right people. I've worked it. I know it. I can go to Washington, D.C. and make a difference. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that, uh, General Bolduck. And uh, you, you've been to the border, but our president of the United States hasn't been to the border yet. No, that's absolutely right. And, and, and um, his uh, vice president, who's in charge of the border, has been kind of sorta to the border. Yeah, right? k- kind of sorta. That's, that's about the, the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Can you hold on for a minute, uh, General Bolduck? We have to take a quick break here. And we'd love to get back and uh, talk more with General Brigadier General Don Bolduck, U.S. Senate candidate 
and has a lot of interesting things to say. He has it uh, from a perspective that most don't, and uh, General Bolduck has some great insight as to what is going on today at our border and elsewhere, at our borders, I should say, and elsewhere. And we'll uh, be back with General Bolduck right after these words. WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, around the clock streaming at nhtalkradio.com. Stay right there. We shall be right back with General Bolduck. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 in Manchester on the FM dial and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We're being joined this morning by retired Army Brigadier General Donald Bolduck, candidate for United States Senate. And uh, before the commercial break, we were talking about uh, the issues with our, our borders uh, in, in this country. Why do you think, General Bolduck, the president has not visited any of the border locations uh, in this country? Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, when when a leader doesn't doesn't want to pay attention to something, uh, it's because they are uh, they're not interested in getting involved in fixing it. I mean, I mean, I know this, right? Uh, the people that work for you, as a leader, the people that work for you will pay attention to the things that the boss pays attention to, right? And at this point, um, you know, the the whole the whole agenda here is to weaken our nation and to weaken our nation to the point where we have to fundamentally change our government. We have to fundamentally change the values and principles of this country in which it was founded on. And so, in you know, in order to do this, you have to, you know, you have to weaken what. Uh, our economy. You have to spend our money carelessly, recklessly, to the point where <clears throat> we're uh, we're bringing we're spending more money than we're bringing in. I mean, two quarters in a row of a downward turn in our in our GDP. Uh, you know, is in normal times, in normal administration, uh, you know, an indicator of a, of a of a recession, but but not with this one. And so, this is just part of a larger plan and. If he doesn't go down there, uh, then he can continue to say, well, you know, we don't have a problem. I got people working on it. It's good. You know, we're, we're doing the best we can. Uh, and, um, you know, blaming, continue to blame uh, the person that came before you, right? Uh, and that's just ineffective leadership. And we see that in this administration. We see that in my U.S. Senate opponent that I'm running against. Uh, and so... I mean, this is why. I mean, it's it's just a plan to weaken all our institutions. And look, they've done it. Uh, our justice system, our education system, our family system, our economic system, our political system, and now they're going after our military. And they're doing a very good job of, uh, of using uh, political generals and admirals to undermine our military. And if you weaken these institutions and you continue to build a large government, and you allow these areas to become problematic, then what's going to happen? The government is going to declare an emergency, they're going to use fear and uncertainty, and then they're going to control people from the top down, and that's exactly the direction uh, that uh, that the progressives, uh, this 
this new idea of you know America uh, is 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 a bad government and other other forms of government are are better in its place and it's been fifty to sixty years in the making and now we are you know we're we're living right uh, unfortunately Ken or fortunately for us eighty eight percent of Americans believe we're going in the wrong direction. 76% of Granite Staters believe we're going in the wrong direction. Worse, only 39% of Americans are proud to be Americans. This is terrible. That's a shame. Yeah. It, and, it, it, it's yeah. terrible. And, and all our institutions are weak. And that's why I have the American Strength Agenda to say, listen, we have to fix our education system. We have to fix our public education system because for since 1979, it's been failing us. And it continues to fail us. Our family institutions have been weakened. We need to strengthen our family institutions. Our economic uh, system now is being uh, is being undermined, and we can see it. Uh, and they're using energy to do it. Um, and and you know it is you know it's working. Look at our political institution. You know, first of all, people uh, Americans don't even trust the political system. They believe they're corrupt. Um, I get into a debate about this with some people uh, about, you know, the corruption in Washington, D.C., and it's clear to see. And it is clear in my mind, uh, you know, I'm the only candidate that's been to all the cities and towns in this state because I've had the luxury of campaigning long enough to be able to do that and talk to people. And they believe that our politicians are corrupt. They're focused on money. They're focused on power. They're not focused on character and integrity and accountability and responsibility and transparency. And many people believe that um, that it's you know lying has has replaced the truth and not just white lies but big lies. And and what is this teaching our children? What is this teaching our grandchildren? How are we setting our grandchildren up for success? And that's why God, family, community, country is my tenets, and it's based off of. In America's strength agenda, Ken, that I want to bring back the strength of America because I've seen it, I've lived it, I've worked in it at the highest and lowest levels of our government, and I've done it in other countries and been sent to other countries by this nation to do the same thing, only to come back and find that we're not doing it here. And that is a huge problem. Well, you are the best person I know to ask this question, and uh, unfortunately, I think I know what the answer is going to be. Uh, what is the status of our military right now? The status of our military right now is it is in decline, and it has been in decline, um, in my opinion, uh, you know, since, um, since the end of the, you know, around the Bush administration into the Obama administration, President Trump did his best to bring it back, but unfortunately, he was working inside a system uh, of, uh, you know, Secretary of Defense and, and, and service chiefs and the military-industrial complex that wasn't on his side, right? And so he could never get a true Afghanistan withdrawal plan. He could never get a true Iraq-Syria withdrawal plan. He could never get a good plan for Africa. Um and so, unfortunately, uh, his efforts, he knew what he needed to do. He just didn't have um, the right people in place. And I think we saw that 
as he was replacing people, right? He would, he would, you know, get a sense of that, and then he would replace them. But our military has been in decline, uh, and our strategic Navy isn't what it should be. Neither is our strategic Air Force. Our logistics capability uh, for, uh, uh, you know, being able to sustain our military isn't. Our cyber capability, our um, supply chain to be able to, uh, you know, continue to resupply, particularly over long distances, our military is not what it should be. Our nuclear forces isn't. Our missile defense, our air defense, all these areas are gone. And the military-industrial complex is as corrupt as it can be today, and it is being, uh, you know, supported by by generals who retire and go into that and make a tremendous amount of money. Something that I was offered, but I didn't do, right? 250 grand just to start, right? Oh. Um, I came home because I wanted to come home because, uh, you know, I've been a resident of this state my entire life, uh, and a, re- a registered Republican since I was 18 years old. My family's here. My wife's family's here. We wanted to come back and decided we were going to help veterans and their families, which we've been doing. I've been able to do some teaching. Um, I graduated from the police academy here. You know, we've done a lot of things inside our community, particularly working with uh, other parents and grandparents to change the bad econ- or the, the bad education system that we're seeing here in SAU 16. Uh, you know, all these things. Uh, you know, we came back to New Hampshire to help make a difference. Uh, and and be part of you know be part of the community, and um, you know our military is hurting. Our National Guard is hurting. Our reserves are hurting. Our active duty is hurting. This crazy vaccine requirement is hurting. This crazy uh, you know uh, CRT stand down for pronoun training. Uh, it's all hurting our military. Uh, and we need someone in Washington, D.C., you know, that knows this. Listen, a lot of people attribute to me, oh, he's a warmonger and this, that, and the other thing. It couldn't be further from the truth. I fought uh, 81 months in combat. I, I lost 72 service members over bad policy and strategy. I know the price. I'm not a warmonger. I'm someone who wants to prevent us from going to wars, and you can only do that if America is strong. You can only do that with peace through strength. You can only do that if we're strong at home. We can be strong ab- abroad. But look, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, you know, the president is going to get embarrassed in Saudi Arabia. The Secretary of Defense two weeks ago got embarrassed in China. We are weak here. We're going to be weak over there. And we've allowed the Chinese Communist Party to infiltrate our education system, yeah. economic system, political system. And now we're, we have political generals and admirals in place, Ken, that are just uh, hurting our nation's ability to fight and win its wars. General Bolduck, always a pleasure to have you with us. We only have about 10 seconds left. Where can people uh, see you soon? Well, uh, I'm all over. Um, and uh, go to my website, www.donbaldick.com. You can sign up uh, to follow me on Facebook, and you'll be able to see everywhere I'm going. And I welcome everybody, and I welcome all the questions. 
Thank you, General Bolduck. We appreciate it. Thank you, and God bless you, Ken, and have a great day, and my best to all your listeners. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We'll have you back soon. All right. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company Live on WKXL. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock.